After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 94, the stanzas 4, 8, and 11. The beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this afternoon we deal with the sixth word of the covenant, you shall not murder. Now, this commandment is often under discussion, also in this day and age, but then in connection not only with human life, but also with all life forms. The environmentalists, for example, they are worried about all forms of life. And they will do anything to protect life, the life of the trees, the life of the plants, of the forests and the fish in the sea. They also want to protect human life by guarding against the pollution of the rivers, the lakes and the oceans. And so the question for us this afternoon is, in what way must we respect a life here on earth? How do we protect it? What does God want from us? Let us listen to God's Word as I've summarized it on the following theme. And that will be the theme for this afternoon's sermon. The Lord commands us to protect and promote life. And then first we look at the origin of life, secondly the value of life, and then thirdly the respect of life. The Lord commands the protection and promotion of life, the origin, value, and respect of life. Just a moment ago, we sang from Psalm 139, stanza 7, My inward parts were formed by thee, for thou, my God, didst fashion me. In this way, we praised God for his wonderful creation, for the fact that he created you and me. It is an acknowledgement that God is our great and wonderful creator. And indeed, it's always a great miracle when a child is born. And then we see the wonder of God's creation. As believers whose eyes are not blind to the work of God, we acknowledge that only God could create something so beautiful and so intricate. As soon as the child is conceived, even though it is still in the womb of the mother, it is already a separate life. It has its own bloodstream and its own blood type. As long as blood flows through your veins and as long as that blood is pumped by the heart, there is life. The minute the heart stops beating, there is death. And since God is the creator of that precious life, we may not take that life into our own hands and terminate that life. We may not terminate the life of another human being, for God is the one who created that physical life. But that is certainly not the only reason or the most important reason that life may not be terminated by man. For what does the Lord God say in Genesis 9, verse 6? He says there, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed for And here it comes, in the image of God has God made man. The Lord gives a reason for why murder is forbidden. Man is made in his image. God created man in righteousness and holiness. He was made to rule the earth 
He was made to be God's vice regent. God created man so that he could glorify his creator in all his words and works. And he can only do that if he is in a proper relationship with the Lord his God. And so if you take a human being's life, then he is no longer able to image God in creation. And therefore it is wrong to take that life. It is true, of course, that since the fall into sin, man has lost that image. When he fell into sin, he went from being an image bearer to an image bearer of God to an image bearer of Satan. Yet, Genesis 9 verse 6 was spoken after the fall into sin. And then he still calls man an image bearer. Why? How can God do that? Well, because that was man's original purpose. That is because through God's great mercy, through his grace, he made it again possible that through the Holy Spirit he is able to be an image bearer of God. Let me remind you of question and answer eight of the Heidelberg Catechism. The question is asked here, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? And then the answer is yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And you see, God makes it once again possible to image him in spite of our fall into sin. And that is only because of his grace. He wants us to seek him and to have fellowship with him and to mirror him in his creation. That's why God created you. And he makes that possible once again through his Holy Spirit. And so now here we come to the heart of the matter. Man may not take the life of another human being. And why not? Because it cuts him off from his relationship with God. And it is for that reason that the Lord God values life so greatly. Man may not be prevented from bringing praises to his creator. And now the question you may ask whether or not this then applies First of all, to those people who do not believe in God, who do not want to praise his name. And the answer is that just because they do not want to do that does not mean that they were not created for that purpose. We may not say that someone has not been created for God's praise and glory. Only God can decide that. And another question may arise in your minds. And does this now then only apply to human beings? For the Lord only created man in his image. Animals are not made in God's image. And so does that mean then that this commandment does not apply to animal life or plant life? Well, the Lord God gave man at the time of creation dominion over all of his creation. And he must rule that creation in accordance with God's will. That is part of man being an image bearer. When God created the earth, 
he said that it was good. In the end, he said even that it was very good. The Lord God delighted in what he made. And man, that is you and I, we were made the crown of God's creation. The earth was there in order to glorify God in every respect. But the earth and all that is in it was also put at man's disposal for his use and enjoyment. And that is why the Lord God says to man that he may kill animals in order to feed him. And man is also allowed to use the plant life in order to feed him and to clothe him and to house him. He put all of creation at man's disposal so that he can serve his creator with it and so that he can also serve his fellow man with it. And it is for that reason that God made the animal life and plant life in such a way that it could reproduce itself. The Lord God created the seed. And the Lord God put man in charge of all that he created. All God's creatures are and all vegetations are put at man's disposal to use in the way that God describes in his word. The secular environmentalists of today have no eye and no ear for these things. They do not worship the creator. And so they do not properly see man's role in all this. They believe that the animal life and plant life is just as precious as human life. And that is because they believe that man evolved from some primitive life form along with the rest of the living organisms here on earth. These organisms, though at all at different stages of development, are to be put on the same level as human existence. Indeed, they see man as nothing but an animal a higher form of life, of animal life to be sure, but still as an animal. Because of God's word, we know better. But having said that, we must also realize that we may not recklessly abuse God's creation. Man may use the vegetation for his needs, but he may not unnecessarily exploit it or destroy it. He may not indiscriminately kill animal or plant life. He may not torture or abuse animals either. They too are God's creatures. We can think here of Proverbs 12 verse 10, a righteous man cares for the needs of his animal. Nor may he pollute God's creation. He is a he is to be a responsible steward of all that God has put in his church. There are many large corporations whose only motivation is the bottom line. They are out to make a profit. But they do not see the responsibility that they have over against their creator in all things. And therefore, as Christians, we should also make sure that we do not contribute to the destruction of God's creation. We must speak out and we must be aware of abuses. For the Lord God, beloved, loves his creation. He is the author of life, of all of life. 
And therefore, we have to treat his creation with the utmost respect. We must even go a step beyond that. We must not only recognize God as the source of all life, but we must also promote all life, especially as it concerns our fellow man. Man's life is very valuable. That brings us to the second point. The second commandment says you shall not murder. In other words, we may not take the life of another person in our own hands. And this, it appears, leaves us on safe ground. For who is there among us who has ever murdered anyone? That is not something we are likely to do. That does not happen in the church. But is that really true? Brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, please listen. In reality, we kill every day. We are all murderers. And that is the way it has been ever to fall, ever since the fall into sin. Look at what happened in paradise. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree, they committed murder. How so, you might say? Well, they did so by disobeying God. For by disobeying God, they cut God out of their lives. They banished him from their hearts and from their lives. At the moment they sinned, God ceased to exist for them. It was as if he were dead. It is not so, of course, that he actually killed God. That's impossible. But by sinning against him, they removed him from their lives. And that is murder. Murder has been in the heart of man from the very beginning. And that is why Satan is also called a murderer from the very beginning. John 8 verse 44. And the murder continued as soon as they left paradise. Cain killed Abel. Cain first wished Abel out of his life. He found his brother to be a nuisance, an irritant. And that led to the actual murder. But don't think that only the wicked people did such things. Also, godly people did so. Think of David. He first wished Uriah the Hittite out of his life. He wanted his wife Bathsheba for himself. And then he actually had him killed. And think about the apostle Paul. What a wonderful man. What a great apostle. Yet he was a murderer. His hands were dripping in blood. He killed many Jewish Christians. But how did it all start? Well, the catechism speaks about the root of murder, about dishonoring, hating, injuring or killing one's, killing one's neighbor by thoughts, words, gestures, or deeds. And that, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we are all guilty of every single day. When we are hateful, 
when we are full of envy, when we are full of anger, then we are nothing short of murderers. And that is why a sign could be put here over these doorways, only murderers are here. And so when we harbor such feelings towards an unbeliever, and then we want to cut them off from any possible relationship with their Creator, then that is our wish. And that is our wish with others, and that is our wish also with those who are close to us. And when our feelings are full of anger or resentment towards our brother or sister in our Lord, our fellow believers, then we want to cut off their relationship with us and so also with God. Brothers and sisters, life is not life unless it is in communion, unless it is first of all in communion with the Lord God, in fellowship with Him. It is only when we have a good relationship with Him that we can have a relationship, a good relationship with others. The Catechism says in question and answer 111, in connection with the Eighth Commandment, that it is the duty of every Christian to promote his neighbor's good wherever he can and may. That is to say, he must promote his existence before the Lord. But nothing kills such a life with Christ more than when we treat others with disrespect, when we abuse each other with our thoughts or words or actions. And that is why you and I have such a great responsibility before the Lord. The Lord gives you and me the task to bring others to Christ, our neighbor. And who is our neighbor? Well, your neighbor is that person whom the Lord God has placed on your path. And that, first of all, refers to your loved ones, to your children, for example. As we saw the last time when we dealt with the fifth commandment, the Lord wants us to bring up our children to love him with all our hearts. And nothing is more destructive to a child than when a parent is negligent or cruel to his children. And that is why it's such a terrible thing when a parent emotionally, physically, or sexually abuses his child. And the same thing goes for teachers. If they emotionally or physically or sexually abuse those who are in their charge, then they are terrible murderers. For these things are forms of murder. When you abuse your children and then you cut him or her off from the two most important relationships in their lives. Then you cut a child off from his or her relationship with God and with you. And such cruel conduct will often lead a child away from the love of God. If we do not treat our children with respect and dignity, then they will grow up to be bitter and cynical and angry. Angry at the world and angry at God. The Lord Jesus gave a very strong warning. In Matthew 18, verse 6, he said, But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck 
and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Parents must treat their children with dignity and respect. They may not exploit them or use them for their own selfish purposes. Children, however, have to do the same thing with regard to their parents. Also, their first neighbor is their parents. You children may not harbor anger or hatred against your parents, no matter how old you are or how old they are. The Lord God will not have it. Oh, sure, parents can be quite a nuisance to have around sometimes. Sometimes they can do things that absolutely infuriate you. But don't harbor anger in your hearts. Learn to forgive and to be humble. Are you better than they? For when you are full of anger and resentment, then there is no room for God's spirit. And then your heart is full of darkness. Ask the Lord for strength and courage and wisdom and grace to set things right between you and your parents. Do not allow to remain it in this way. Do not allow this to remain in this way. Our neighbors also include our sworn enemies, including those outside of the church. In the well-known story of the Good Samaritan, we see that even if an enemy is placed on your path, then you must treat him or her with love and compassion. That's what the Good Samaritan did. Whereas the priest and the Levite passed the unfortunate stranger by, not wanting to have anything to do with such a Gentile, the Samaritan did the right thing and tended to the man who was robbed and beaten. The Samaritan did the right thing. Why? Because in this act, he showed himself to be an image-bearer of God. He showed compassion. He showed love and righteousness to the man who had been so severely beaten. The Lord Jesus tells this story to the Jewish lawyer in order to teach him in what way each person is commanded to put on the love of God. The lawyer thought himself to be a believer. He thought himself to be a member of the true church. And therefore he treated everyone else whom he perceived not to receive God's grace as he did with disdain and haughtiness. It's a lesson the lawyer had to learn. But what about you and me? Last week we heard in the news that a Muslim family in Edmonton lost all their possessions through a fire. And this family was amazed at the outpouring of love from the Edmonton community. They received all kinds of help and gifts and money. Would you do the same, even though they're Muslims? The Lord God wants us to respect and to protect all life including the lives of unbelievers, including the lives even of our enemies. For we are in a relationship with all men. That brings us to our third and final point. The Catechism states that the government bears the sword to prevent murder. As you and I well know, any government is rarely, if ever, made up of true Christian believers who want to submit themselves to the word of God. And yet the Lord God tells us that he gives to the secular government the right to bear the sword. He does not give that right to the church. 
He gives it to the government. The church may carry out only spiritual discipline. Make no mistake about it, though, the kind of punishment that the church may carry out is much worse than the punishment of the government. For the church alone has the keys of the kingdom. The church has the authority to cast someone out of the kingdom of God in God's name. On the basis of God's word only, the church can relegate someone to the realm of the eternal dead. And that is quite a power and that's quite a responsibility. But the government officials may be bearers of the sword. It is physical punishment only. As we saw with Lord's Day 39, this is clearly taught in Romans 13 and also faithfully confessed in Article 36 of the Belgian Confession. Why does the Lord God give that authority to the government, to secular authorities? Because the Lord God is interested in the promotion and the protection of life. If a murderer is allowed to go free, then he is likely to kill again. And then others may no longer be deterred from murder as well. In other words, if the government was not given this authority, then the whole society will become a chaos. And so let us be thankful that there are policemen who are there to protection of, who are there for the protection of human life. And so let us treat the law with respect. And let us also be thankful that there are soldiers willing to risk their lives to rid this world of terrorists. It is true, of course, that in many respects the government does not always protect life in the way that God has commanded it in his word. Certain wars, for example, are unjust. They are waged out of greed or wrong motives. The government also allows abortions to be performed, which is murder. The Lord will hold those in authority accountable for allowing that to happen. And he will also hold the men and women who kill their offspring in this way accountable. Nowadays, there is also more and more talk about active euthanasia, so-called mercy killing. Also, that is an abomination to the Lord, for man may not take his own life. The Lord numbers our life here on earth. He is the one who determines that. And although there may be very complicated factors involved, ultimately that is the principle we have to keep in mind. God rules. He is in control of all life. But the government has an important role to play in the protection of human life and all life forms. And in those things where the government does not overstep its authority, we must respect it. God gives us as image bearers, brothers and sisters, an enormous task. From our conduct, we must show the world that God hates murder. He does not want anyone to harm, to be harmed. We may not harm our neighbor. And he wants us to examine our hearts and to eradicate the root of murder. Question and answer 107 bring us back to the way it was in Parabite paradise to the way it was supposed to be. God commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness towards him. 
These words remind us of the fruit of the Spirit. We must not resist the work of the Holy Spirit. For only the Holy Spirit can give true life to a person. Only the Holy Spirit can teach us to love, to live in true love and in true harmony with each other. And so then, do you want to make sure that you are not sinning against the Sixth Commandment? Then examine yourself in the light of Scripture in the way that you are hindering others in the service and praise of the Lord. Think about how you treat others. How do you treat your children? Do your actions or your lack of actions prevent your children from becoming bitter over against you, over against the Lord, over against his church, over against his parents? Do you kill their emotions by being overly critical or by neglecting their physical as well as their emotional needs? Do you abuse your children, either physically or emotionally or sexually? What goes on in your home when nobody else is there, when no one else is listening? And what about the church? Are you overly critical of the office bearers? Do you only have negative things to say, putting them down? When is the only time the elder or the deacon or the minister hears from you? When you have something to complain about? When you have something negative to say? Or do you build them up by showing your appreciation? By giving them a kind and encouraging word once in a while? Criticism is not bad. It is good. It is good, however, only if you do it constructively and out of love. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, think about these things during this week and the weeks to come. And remember one thing, that true love begins with Christ. And so go on your knees and ask him for the forgiveness of sins for your past wrongdoings over against others and draw strength from him for we're all guilty we're all guilty of all these sins brothers and sisters and we need the forgiveness from god if you have seriously wronged others including your children even if now they are grown up then you must also ask them to forgive you as the lord has forgiven you again beloved god has confronted us with his word this afternoon And he wants you to choose life. He wants you to promote life, your own life, the life of others, the life that you have with God. And now he puts you to work. He puts you to work for the rest of the week and the weeks and the months and the years to come. He wants you to protect the life of your neighbor and your own life for you and your neighbor have been created in order to glorify God's name. Respect that life, beloved, and God will also respect your life. He will give you eternal life, for he is the God of life. Amen.